If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 10. Come to a story that I'm sure is pretty familiar to all of you. Often referred to as the rich young man and his confrontation with Jesus. What I have done uh, in terms of preparing and working on this passage is I'm going to be breaking it up into two parts. So this morning I'm just going to be focusing upon Jesus' conversation with the young man himself. Mark chapter 10, verses 17. I'm going to read all the way to the end, however, to verse 31. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, if we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to the come eternal life. And many who were first will be last and the last first. Let us pray.
Our Heavenly Father, in many ways, this is not an easy text to understand. And we ask, O oh Lord, that, that the wisdom that you give thy people this morning here would be that which comes from the text, from the word of God. And you would lift thy people up and encourage them in terms of being followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, O oh God, that our discipleship unto Christ would be strong and mighty, and that it would be a witness into the earth. In Christ's name, amen. Well, as we look around at each other this morning, I think it is clear that we are not taking Christ's words literally to this man in our text. I do not think any of us have sold everything we possess and have given it to the poor. We possess cars. We have satisfactory places of residence. We have relative financial stability. And we have decent clothes to wear. Hence, we sense that Jesus is not making the principle about selling everything a universal norm for every believer to follow. But could it be? As many currently think, the Christ is instituting here in our text a economic social justice between the rich and the poor. Specifically, that Jesus is, in principle, demo condemning democratic capitalism in support of a Christian form of Marxism or socialism. As you may imagine, this idea of economic justice is extremely popular among Christian social justice crowd in our own day. They find in Christ's teaching here support for their romantic view of the poor and their dislike for anyone who has wealth. The poor, in their viewpoint, are innocent, sinless human beings exploited by the greedy capitalists of the middle class and the wealthy upper class. Indeed, why not? exploit the teachings of Jesus to drive home one's own personal agenda. Well, in contrast, whether one is rich or poor, whether one is a child or an adult, whether one is married or single, whether one is male or female, whether one is a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, we must understand that Jesus is taking this particular individual, this man, in our text into the heart and the soul of the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God 
eternal life, which every human needs to enter through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I assume the passage before us is familiar to almost all of us. In each synoptic gospel, it has a special place as the author presents the importance of the good news that is found only in Jesus Christ. Mark is no different. This incident occupies an important position for the reader as Mark is about to mention for a third time Christ's prediction to his disciples about his future death and resurrection in Jerusalem. If you look ahead in terms of the text, that third time is mentioned in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. So this morning, our text resumes Christ's journey with his disciples as they are going to Jerusalem, a path that has paved that has been paved with Jesus' teaching and training his disciples for their future task as apostles in Christ's church. We are getting closer to Mark placing us exactly in Jerusalem. We have been going there, and we're going to get there. You see, starting in chapter 11, in fact, it can be said that the incident before us is the high point of the theme which Christ has been trying to drive home to the disciples concerning what it means, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? As we have been seeing, the disciples have a difficult time (laughs) comprehending this. How about each of us? Are our minds and our hearts allowing Christ's teaching to sink into our own lives? Do each one of us really want to be a visible, a visible follower of Jesus Christ? Remember the journey to Jerusalem began at Caesarea Philippi, where Peter is the first to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, back in chapter 8, verse 29. What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Well, it is immediately connected to his mission to free his people from sin and death. On two occasions, Jesus summarizes his mission as the Christ. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and suffer. He will be rejected by the Jewish Sanhedrin and be killed. And after three days, rise again. Receiving Christ's death and resurrection into one's heart is the power and the path for being a follower of Christ and living in his kingdom. In this act of faith, the follower of Christ lives the life of self-denial. Chapter 8, verse 34. 
The follower is content to be last and least in the kingdom to serve all. Well, if you are still struggling with what it means to live the life of self-denial, the story in our text this morning in the providence of Christ's ministry is placed before you to examine your own heart in your own walk as a true believer and a follower of Jesus. As Christ prepares the apostles for ministry in his church concerning the family, our previous two messages, marriage and covenant children, now Christ is preparing them for the realistic challenge of people wishing to be a follower of Christ. Do you remember the parable of the sower? <laughs> when Jesus explains to the disciples the realistic responses they're going to get when they proclaim the gospel as they go out into the world. Do you remember that? Do you remember that in that parable of the sower, there is in the situation, Jesus tells about the word of God, which is sown among the thorns. Such people allow the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of what? Riches to choke the word. And the word proves unfaithful, unfruitful. When these future apostles are, are about to see the concrete example of that truth before their eyes, they're about to see right here in Christ's ministry a concrete situation in which the deceitfulness of riches will take one away from following Christ. So get ready for the real world of sin and the rejection of the demands of the gospel. Yes, Jesus and the disciples continue to proceed to Jerusalem when suddenly a man ran up and he knelt before Jesus. Verse 17 of our text. Please follow the flow of Mark's narrative. All that we know as the story opens is that the man runs, the Greek word here, enthusiastically <laughs> up to Jesus. Luke immediately tells us that he is a ruler. Mark makes no mention that he's a ruler at all. Mark's edition begins with him just being an ordinary person, an ordinary man. He's not named in the entire story. And he even falls to his knees, kneeling before Jesus. No other gospel recording this story has the man kneeling before Jesus. Mark alone records that. And from his knees, he shows respect. 
he addresses Jesus as good teacher, good teacher. Although he is not confessing that Jesus here is the Messiah, he's not confessing that he is the Christ, he does place him on a high pedestal. He realizes that he is an extraordinary teacher, that he has extraordinary wisdom. So he says immediately, what is on his mind? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 17. Obviously, this man is serious about religion. He thinks that Christ has a special insight into the transition from life in this world to life that is beyond death. His question has eternal significance for his life. As part of the flock of Christ's church, let the question be processed in your own mind, in your own heart this morning. How would you answer his question? Think about that for a second. How would you answer the question he's just asked? Perhaps <laughs> what comes to your mind here in 2023 is Paul and Silas's response to the Philippian jailer. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16, 31. But Christ makes no reference of himself to the man. Rather, perhaps oddly to us. He responds to the man calling him good. And he asks the rhetorical question to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. Verse 18. Jesus' response is not giving any credence, credence that he's not God. <laughs> he is not denying his own identity here in his response. When Jesus says no one is good except God alone, he is pushing this man right to the teaching where this truth is to be plastered upon his mind and heart as a Jew. That's why we opened with our call of worship this morning. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6.4. Based on that verse, every Jew knew that God, their covenant Lord God, is alone good. Since the man called him good teacher. The man is not making any reference that he is the Messiah, that he is Christ. He's not making any reference here that he is actually God. Not at all. Herein Jesus' response is telling the man that he should have reverence for God alone as one. While at the same time, and do not miss this, Jesus places his own person 
humbly, humbly before the man. Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? Since the man has not yet acknowledged that Jesus is the Son of God. Simply put, to call Jesus good means that you must confess that Jesus is God, the Son of God, and this man is not there yet. So as Jesus pushes the discussion to the Shema, Christ freely brings up the one God who provides lawful access to eternal life. If one keeps God's commandments, one shall have eternal life. That was clear in terms of the text we read this morning in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 16. So interestingly, Jesus places basically the second table of the law before the man. That is basically the last six commandments which appear in our confessional standards under the heading of loving our neighbor. Verse 19. Being conscious of Jesus' humility. Notice what the man does now. The man now drops the phrase good teacher and says to Jesus, teacher, (laughs) teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Verse 20. Youth in this case is a reference to about 12 years old in terms of the Jewish tradition of covenant children. Now Jesus' response is very interesting in verse 21. Please note the phrase, Jesus looking at him. There are three occasions in this narrative that we read this morning that Mark notes that Jesus looked. Verse 21, verse 23, verse 27. Each one of those are significant. This is the first occasion. What, how is this word to be understood in the Greek? This is fascinating congregation. What we have here is an intense looking straight directly at him. It is a look of gripping, gripping concentration and concern. Mark is the only gospel that includes the next two words. Are you listening? The next two words are only found in Mark's gospel edition of this story. Loved him. Loved him. Don't miss it. Jesus' intense look of concentration and concern is full of love for this man. 
Yes, this particular interaction between Jesus and this man is full of emotion on the part of our Savior. It is the only time, it is the only time in any of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that Jesus is explicitly said to love an individual person. Let that sink in your head this morning. The only time in any of the synoptic gospels. Seriously, meditate on this. Jesus, tough challenge that is about to issue, which he is about to issue, to this man will flow from Jesus' heart of love for him. Jesus genuinely cares about this man. Make sure you see this. Mark, through the Holy Spirit, is giving you a look into Jesus' own heart in compassion for the lost. For the lost. Mark, the evangelist, there's a reason why this appears in his gospel. Mark, the evangelist, is giving us a look into how the hearts of the apostles must approach the lost as they take the gospel into the world. Approach the lost with genuine hearts of love for their salvation. So when Jesus issues the challenge... (laughs) It is not in the spirit here of, I gotcha. <laughs> I gotcha. Meaning that Jesus is going to expose hypocrisy like he does with the Pharisees and the scribes and the Jewish leaders. No, Jesus' challenge flows from a heart of love, demanding a life of discipleship in his kingdom. Now are you noticing that Jesus does not challenge the man's comment of his visible keeping of the law in his own eyes. In fact, Jesus' challenge to the man has a single focus. A single focus. He's not challenging whether he's kept the law in his own eyes. Jesus' challenge has a single focus. And what is that single focus? You lack one thing. One thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come Follow me, verse 21. The one thing that he lacks is followed by two imperatives. Did you see that? 
The one thing that he lacks is followed by two imperatives. Go, sell. Interestingly, it is not until this challenge which Jesus issues that we find out in Mark's edition that he is a man of considerable wealth. Mark keeps that away from us until right here. Right here. Are you grasping the point of the gospel in this incredible story? Jesus is taking this wealthy man, his disciples, his church, each of us, to where the letter of the law is pointing us. The law being good is pointing us to where there is life in relationship to the law. The law exposes what is in our hearts with respect to self-centered sin and the need of redemption in Christ. Once Jesus took the law from being written upon the tablet of stone to the law exposing, the law exposing the rich man's heart, notice his reaction. He begat sadness is the Greek here, disappointment, discouragement, even a clouded anger that registered on his face. And thus he departs, not acting upon Christ's imperatives. As a consequence, he does not receive eternal life or the treasures or riches, riches of heaven. After all, Christ's demand exposed that his heart was set upon worldly wealth as his greatest possession and not to repeat the treasures of heaven as the greatest possession. Where is your heart this morning? Are you willing to allow your heart to be challenged further by Christ? The law is demanding that we examine our own hearts with respect to being a disciple, a follower of Christ. Jesus' teaching about self-denial as the key element of discipleship in his kingdom cannot at this point be clearer to this in, ter in terms of this practical, real-life example of this wealthy man for his disciples and for us. We must see the deep religious significance of this story. 
Yes, we must. Hence, we must be careful to turn this incident into a religious cult. That is, that Jesus, that Jesus' demand here to sell all he had is a prescription to be applied to all believers forever. We did not come here this morning to sell all that we have and become a monistic, a monistic cult. Or to make Francis of Assisi our patron saint of piety. In God's providence, this rich man coming to Jesus was a great opportunity to register the essence, the essence of the gospel upon the hearts of the disciples and upon ourselves. Jesus' command to sell all that he had and give it to the poor was appropriate to drive home the point that his heart, his heart needed to see that the reduction to poverty and helplessness would enable him to see that the inheritance of eternal life was solely, solely dependent upon God. Only upon the condition of helplessness and the sole dependence upon God for eternal life can one respond to Christ's beautiful and glorious invitation, come, follow me. If you're noticing, you see, in terms of the beginning question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Christ is pointing him to the point that the inheritance of the eternal life is the treasures of heaven itself. And that's found by coming and following him. This man would only get that point. Understand that final eschatological inheritance if he went out and sold everything. So as we know, Christ, even in this incident, is the pattern, is it not? Is he not? Christ, though he was rich, became poor for our sake. And as Christ comes to the earth, how does he live? He has no place to lay his head. This is the pattern that self-denial had to take for the heart of the rich man to inherit eternal life. But he could not surrender. He could not surrender his heart to utter self-dependence upon God in his Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us make sure we have one point very clear this morning. If I am a follower, if I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and since that means I must deny myself and follow Christ, 
well. If I have denied myself, then who am I? Who am I? What's left of me? If I deny myself, what's left of me? After all, I am what is important to me. Right? (laughs) Right? Well, what or who fills my soul? Fills our soul of self-denial. Who fills our soul and body of self-denial. It's only one answer. It's only one answer. We all know the answer, right? Christ. Christ. Come, he says, follow me. Is your cup of life overflowing with Christ? And who fills you with Christ? This is Pentecost Sunday. This is Pentecost Sunday. So who should know the answer? How should we know the answer to that? By the scriptures and by God promising and filling in his providence the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills you with the presence of Christ who feeds and touches your soul each day so that you lack nothing. With those whose souls are filled with Christ. What is your treasured possession? Is it not Christ? Is it not his kingdom? And will you not surrender yourself and renounce your sin through his forgiveness for your sin on the cross and live in the obedience of his love for others as you abandon all merit for yourself. Denying self is not negative. It's a positive. It's a positive. Why? Because you who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you only boast by being saved by grace. You boast only in the work of Christ's Spirit who fills you with the treasures of heaven, eternal life, Through whom? Through through Christ and his work, precious work of redemption, his death 
and his resurrection. That's what fills the heart of the believer through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful for the sending of thy spirit that applies the wonderful treasures of heaven through his death and resurrection to our hearts. We ask that we would go forth in the strength of his redemptive care for us and what he has accomplished for us, that we know that we are part of the family of God, the household of faith. Bless us in this continual journey. In Christ's name, amen.